It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If I said the word moonshot to you, what would you think of? Maybe the Apollo space program. Or maybe, if you're into that kind of thing, just a very, very good hit in baseball. Moonshots are moments of wonder. They're moments that make the impossible possible. They're big, hard problems to solve, and they mostly demand money and time and often great manpower. President Obama launched a moonshot to cure cancer, and Google runs a moonshot factory, perhaps unsurprisingly, trying to build self-driving cars. But at their core, moonshots require collaboration. They require an effort by the many, not the few. And it's this element that feels the most fragile now. In the middle of a coronavirus pandemic that's only getting worse, not better, the US is blaming China. China is blaming the US. Britain is still Brexiting, and Brazil is denying the science. The idea of working together on an international scale is in a pretty fragile state. But this wasn't always the case. I'm Basha Cummings, and in this week's Slow Newscast, we're telling the story of a moonshot, a thrilling race to fix a problem that was so serious that was perhaps an existential threat to the world as we knew it. And the solution? Well, it was international collaboration. It was a moment that seemed impossible. But thanks to the work of scientists and environmentalists, the problem was fixed. It was a moonshot, like the Apollo landing before it, that actually worked. So let's go back to the 1980s and let me paint the scene. Ronald Reagan was in the Oval Office and Margaret Thatcher was the British Prime Minister. By the end of the decade, these two leaders would become two signatories of a historic treaty, one that would have huge consequences for our environment. So this is the story of how we managed to fix a giant hole in the sky. All around the world, there's a crisis of leadership. Our leaders aren't pulling in the same direction, and the organisations where they used to get together have lost their way. The United Nations and the EU are stumbling, Russia, China and the US are going it alone. At Tortoise, we think no subject's too big for us all to talk about. This one's too big not to talk about. So we're drawing up a to-do list for the international community to lead the world out of this crisis. And we'd like your help. We're bringing together world leaders and changemakers on the 10th of September for the Tortoise G7 Billion Summit, 
7 billion is the number of people in the world, by the way. We'd love you to join us. It's going to be a day of constructive debate, fresh thinking and bright ideas. Together, we can draw up a blueprint for global leadership that's fit for a better future. Just head to tortoisemedia.com forward slash G7BN and use the code SLOWPOD to register for free. See you there. So our story really begins in 1974, and it begins with two scientists, an American and an Italian, Mario Molina and F. Sherwood Rowland, who made a discovery that, well, started a revolution. If you accept all newspaper reports, you might just believe that the next major threat to the world will come from an aerosol can. The argument goes that sprays are destroying... It was huge. This protective blanket across the earth was being damaged by things that we were spraying from cans. The theory is that every time we spray an aerosol, the gas release drifts up here to the atmosphere and a little bit more of the ozone layer here is destroyed, letting through more... But as with all revolutions, there was pushback. When the scientists discovered this problem in 1974, the industry went into full-on denial and opposed mode. They vilified these scientists. They questioned their work. They tried to get them blackballed from government grants. They resisted any, any policy change. That's David Doniger, a lawyer who was at the forefront of the battle that Molina and Roland had kick-started with their 1974 research paper. But what happened rather fast is at least in the US and, and Scandinavia and Canada, is that consumers just said, eh, ah, you know, for hairspray or underarm deodorant, we're destroying the planet. And they stopped buying those products. The sales of the aerosols plummeted. But that wasn't the only use of these chemicals, it turned out. They are used in uh, every air conditioner and refrigerator. They were used in car air conditioning. They were used in a bunch of industrial processes to make electronics. They were a solvent to, to make foam insulations. They were a blowing agent. So they were widely used. But away from the public eye, there were bigger obstacles to overcome. Industry, media and politicians were sceptical. But perhaps the biggest sceptic of all was the man who everyone would need to lead the charge, the man who had the power, and that was the President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. Well, Ronald Reagan was an extremely conservative and generally anti-environmental president, not well remembered by environmentalists. My fellow Americans, I think it's time to clear the air and straighten the record on where my administration stands on environmental and natural resources management matters. I know you've heard and read a million words about where others think we stand. Now, how about five minutes of the truth? A few weeks ago... Reagan was, safe to say, not on board with the idea that chemicals were damaging the ozone. In fact, he had once famously said that, quote, trees cause more pollution than automobiles do. By now, it's 10 years after Molina and Rowland's paper. The crisis is growing bigger and bigger, 
and the world is teetering on the brink of an environmental disaster. Every year of inaction means more contaminants in the atmosphere, damaging the ozone layer, reducing our protection against the sun's deadly ultraviolet rays. But in Reagan's White House, they were doubling down. The president had cut the Environmental Protection Agency's budget by 44%, and staffing was down by almost a third. So almost a decade after the publication of a paper that should have changed the world, governments were just not doing anything. Until... I originally joined as um, something of a dog's body, somebody who does the, um, the bricks and mortar of, of putting all the, the climate science together. Well, a lot of it comes down to this man, Jonathan Shanklin. That was, ooh, what was it, back in 1976, a long, long time ago now. In the 80s, he was working at the British Antarctic Survey, then a little-known organisation based in Cambridge. I had to keep persuading the bosses that in order to interpret the data coming back from Antarctica, I needed to go there and experience it firsthand. John knew that something was up with the data that they were getting on ozone measurements. And it took a lot of persuasion... But finally, his bosses allowed him and his team to visit the Antarctic to monitor it. And it's while they were out there that they noticed that their readings were much, much lower than expected. Something wasn't quite adding up. As that picture began to build up, it became more and more obvious that something systematic was happening during the Antarctic spring. Mm -hmm. And talk me through that sort of process of realisation. Was it a kind of slow dawning horror or, or did you still have that sort of scientist's hat on that allowed you to to sort of assess this data and realize what was happening with some level of sort of neutrality it was certainly slow dawning initially it just seemed to be that um, the observations were off the graph as it were and then it became interesting because something was changing um, and so i wrote it up just as an observational paper and presented that to my boss. And he said, no, no, this is, this is no good. You can't just have observations by themselves. You've got to put an explanation forward. So he wrote the explanation and linked chlorine and chlorofluorocarbons mm -hmm. to a method for removing ozone. So it really was you who discovered, who discovered this? It, it was, was me who made the, the initial discovery that something was going on. And it took a lot of persuasion to get my two bosses, Brian Gardner and Joe Farman, to actually believe it. They wanted to double check all my calculations and make sure everything was as it should be. What Jonathan Shanklin had discovered built on the research paper back in the 1970s. His discovery was irrefutable evidence. He had discovered that above the Antarctic, there was a hole in the ozone layer a hole that had grown to almost the size of the United States. This was not just damage, as had been previously predicted, but this was an actual hole. But of course, these guys are scientists, so they acted carefully, cautiously, and Shanklin and his team decided that they needed to try and get further verification. Every week, I would send back the latest observations to the Americans. And as we were beginning to find that ozone values were a bit low. I thought, well, I'll ask them, is this confirmed by the satellites? So I wrote a couple of letters, one to a group that was dealing with um, 
ground-based measurements, but using sondes that measured ozone in situ from the ground up to heights of 40 kilometers or so. And the other to the um, NASA agency that was dealing with the satellite data. And the NASA group never responded. What Shanklin and his team had discovered was something that NASA had previously completely missed. For years, NASA had been sitting on information that could have shut down the debate once and for all, but they had missed it. Here's David Doniger again. Then it turned out that NASA had satellites with records that went back into the 70s, and they could verify the, the, the development and uh, deepening of this ozone hole, looking backwards through their records, they had never spotted this before. They've, the computers had been told to store records of readings that low in a junk file because they couldn't be right. And then when, they, when they went back and looked at their files, they found this perfect record of the ozone hole going back to the late 70s when it first appeared. So now, with scientific teams on both sides of the Atlantic confirming the worst, finally something started to happen. And Jonathan Shanklin, then just a plucky young scientist at the British Antarctic Survey, well, he was, understandably, pretty chuffed. I still think it's uh, astonishing that what seemed to me as a little backroom discovery could have such a global impact And I guess I'm I'm really quite proud that I I did stick to my guns and say, look, things are changing. We've we've got to to publish this. Um, And it did turn the, the world on its head. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. Senior business leaders in the UK are keen to harness AI, but there's a complex regulatory maze emerging globally. The OECD, a group of the world's richest countries, which includes the UK, has adopted a new set of principles to ensure that AI operates in a way that's safe, fair and trustworthy. The principles are wide-ranging, but in essence call for AI systems to be designed in a way that respects the rule of law and human rights, and says there should be transparency around their use. By embracing the core principles of responsible innovation, 
UK business leaders can better explore sector-specific opportunities and emerging trends without compromising on citizens' trust. Find out more at ey.ai. This was a wake-up call with evidence even politicians couldn't ignore. But there was still huge reluctance among much of the establishment over what to do. Here's David Doniger again. In the initial negotiations leading up to 1987, the the biggest problems were, frankly, uh, the UK, France, Germany, and Japan. These were, uh, aside from the United States, these were the principal producers of the chemicals. And their chemical companies were uh, resisting even then. Uh, I remember hearing that someone from the French industry insisted that patronizingly that French women would never give up CFCs in their, in their perfumes because, and in their hairsprays because French women were able to tell the difference between the aerosols with CFCs and the aerosols with alternatives. However, big businesses continued to push back and resist any attempt to change. We genuinely believe with all the scientific information we have available that the level, the average level of thickness of the ozone layer is not being depleted, that there is no great ri- there is no risk of skin cancer at the moment. But one big victory had been won. The President of the United States was now on board. The first thing is to keep our government on the straight and narrow because there were forces in the U.S. administration, in the Reagan administration, which... Uh, who were pushing back. There was one cabinet secretary who tried to persuade President Reagan that we should have instead of a treaty, we should have a policy of personal protection. And when you ask, what does that mean? Uh, It meant people should wear hats and sunglasses and and use sunscreen and protect themselves. Well, I was able to get that story out into the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. And within 24 hours, this uh, cabinet secretary was uh, begging for forgiveness. Uh, and the, the policy, the U.S. policy stayed uh, in favor of a phase-out. This is under the, President Reagan. It's quite remarkable. Back then, even the Reagan administration uh, paid attention to science and could be moved by a combination of science and legal pressure in the United States. President Reagan was now pushing fully behind a concerted environmental effort. In fact, he had made quite the U-turn. Let us remember our responsibility to preserve our older resources here on Earth. Preservation of our environment is not a liberal or conservative challenge. It's common sense. Though this is a time of budget constraints, I have requested for EPA one of the largest percentage budget increases of any agency. Just a year after this speech, President Reagan underwent surgery after skin cancer cells were found on his nose. How are you feeling, sir? How serious is your nose? Oh, my nose gets laughed all the time. What he's talking about is I went out in the sun too much. I do a little uh, peeling to run my nose. And so the issue of skin cancer took center stage. The sun's rays reaching our skin unfiltered is, you know, dangerous. And that really got things going. That 
and a bit of a rebranding job. Here's John Shanklin again. I think there were several things that made it a top agenda item for the politicians. One, the first and obvious one was the link between reduced ozone, which increased the amount of ultraviolet light coming through to the surface, which then increased the risk of skin cancer. And as soon as cancer is mentioned, then oh, that's a public health issue. We've got to do something. The other thing was the brilliant idea, and we don't know who, of calling it an ozone hole because holes need to be filled in. And so just the name ozone hole means that this, this is a problem. Holes in the road are a problem. We've got to do something about those. <laughs> it's a giant pothole. <laughs> that will get people interested. That's one way of looking at it. Um, then another aspect was that the, the manufacturers of the CFCs could come up with alternative products that would do the same thing and wouldn't damage the ozone layer. And so you put all of those together and it becomes possible for action. In our long history, there is one unprecedented act of humanity in which every country on Earth came together to protect the future of life on Earth. It's being called an unprecedented display of international cooperation to protect the world's environment. The Montreal Protocol, signed today, aims at stopping the deterioration of the ozone layer in the atmosphere. It may be one of the greatest success stories of any sort of negotiations on this planet. It is probably not too dramatic to say they may have saved the world. So just two years after that huge discovery in the Antarctic, and after 10 years of inaction, the world united. In 1987, the Canadians stepped in to offer to host a global summit. All the relevant parties would be brought to see if we couldn't nail out uh, the tents of a, of, of a treaty. Mm. We made that offer and we, we were not seen as imperialistic or were self-serving, uh, and again, we had a reputation in this area. So our, our, our invitation to the world for this purpose was accepted. That's Tom McMillan, who was the Environment Minister of Canada at the time. And if John Shanklin from Cambridge is known as the guy who found the hole in the sky, Tom's the man who figured out a way to get people to fix it. He's the guy who brought everyone together. And all around, things were starting to change. Politicians were gearing up and consumers were starting to put pressure on. And those businesses that had been so stubborn suddenly woke up to the financial opportunities. DuPont, for example, which is a chemical and plastics company here in the United States, saw economic opportunities for itself in producing the substances that would inevitably have to be created to replace the ones that would be outlawed or phased out mm. under a treaty or a protocol, which they, they certainly saw as I was writing on the wall. In other words, they weren't motiv motivated by environmentalism. They, they, they saw market opportunities. And so, come September 1987, the Montreal Protocol came into effect. World leaders basically signed an agreement that they would phase out the production of chemicals, including something called 
chlorofluorocarbons that had ripped a North American-sized hole in our ozone layer. We now know, too, that great damage is being done to the ozone layer by the production of halons and chlorofluorocarbons. But at least we have recognized that reducing and eventually stopping the emission of CFCs is one positive thing we can do about the menacing accumulation of greenhouse gases. Mr. President, the evidence is there. The damage is being done. What do we, the international community, do about it? In 1990, an amendment was passed that went further, that accelerated the phasing out of harmful chemicals, and it required developed countries, like the US, to completely phase out these chemicals in under a decade. It was a huge victory. And that's what makes this story so remarkable. This was not a momentary flash of goodwill or of panic. This was a long, slow, 30-year journey to fix a grave environmental problem. And in many ways, I think that's what makes this story so special. So how are things looking today? Because this story feels a long way away from what's possible to us now. And let me introduce you to Susan Solomon, a professor of earth sciences at MIT. Now, Susan, as you'll hear in a moment, is clearly a complete badass. Back in the 1980s, she was a young researcher at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and it was her research that pinpointed exactly how chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, were causing the Antarctic ozone hole. And later, she proved that the Montreal Protocol limiting the use of them was indeed helping to mend it. So I asked her how that giant hole is looking now. We've already seen some healing, I like to call it, of the Antarctic ozone hole, which is quite uh, something to celebrate, in my opinion. It's not going to completely close uh, for probably another 30 or 40 years on a systematic basis, meaning you know, you, you, might, you might see a single year without any ozone hole at all, I think, within, say, 10 or 20 years. It's going to take till 2050 or 2060 before every year does not have an ozone hole. Um, but we'll get there, and I hope to uh, be alive at that time. It would really be something to celebrate on my 100th birthday, I think. And there's an obvious parallel here, isn't there? If we could act this way to fix a hole... Can we do the same to fix the climate crisis? We need another moonshot, but with today's politics, is that even possible? Here's Susan. It's too easy to say government should do it. The fact is, government's only able to do it if the public understands and demands a change in the way things are done. You know, I, I often tell my students, we will get the government, we will get the environment that we demand, and it will only happen if we make government aware that it's what we want. So uh, I think that uh, this, is, um, this is a shared responsibility that we have. Um, there's, there's no substitute for the power of people. So we have to be part of the answer. We can't just say government should do it.
Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. We publish articles that you can read through our app or online. And we're an open newsroom, which means that there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. So all you need to do is get our app and you can get access to everything that we do. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for a 30 day free trial. And I have to say, just as importantly, if you like this podcast, please share it or give us a review. Thanks and see you next week. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. UK business leaders are quietly confident that better times are coming. More than half of those who responded to the recent EY CEO Outlook survey believe their profitability would increase in 2024. As businesses look to the future, transformation is clearly front and centre on the 2024 CEO agenda, with the vast majority of leaders planning to maintain or accelerate their transformational change in 2024. With 76% of CEOs in agreement that AI will deliver transformative efficiency benefits to their organisation, how can AI be put to use to enhance innovation efforts? Find out how integrating AI into your business could minimise the negative impacts on the workforce, boost productivity and improve overall employee experience by reading the full report at ey.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.